Great Job Talk with Ricky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another fantastic episode of HR Talk. Your Sunday show is JC. It's a pleasure to be back in the saddle with the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's in the middle of Central Florida where it's always sunny. And it ain't Philadelphia, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome <laughs> Ricky Baez. Oh, man. I love that show, don't you? That's a great show. That was a good show. It was uh, It was pretty good. It was okay. It was one of those okay shows back in the day. Yeah, I know. I get it. That was like man, near I... 15, 20 years ago now when you think about that. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. The Only pilot for that? Yeah, that uh, started well, like what, 05? No, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Danny DeVito was, was like, what, 80 back then? What is he, 110 now? Dude, he passed away, didn't he? No, no he passed gas, a bunch of it. <laughs> That's about it. You can't smell it. He didn't pass away. Still... <laughs> no. Oh. Danny DeVito did not pass away. Are you though. sure about this? You might have to hit the Google box. I'm not 100% sure on that one. Maybe maybe it was his career that passed away. I can't remember. I I, I can't remember. It's been, there's been so much going on, you know. Is Danny DeVito still alive? Awkward silence right at the beginning of the show as we stand by for Google. No. He's a yeah, he's a I almost said he's awake. He's alive. No, he's good. He was born in 1944 and it says no death date reported. So I guess he's okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Happy birthday going out to Danny DeVito. Still alive. Danny DeVito, still alive. Ricky, how you doing? It's been an amazing HR Talk week. It has. Man, let me tell you, it's uh, that show, that raw show we had, we've got so much great feedback from that. And I'm not going to lie, JC, I I was a little bit worried for us to release something that vulnerable um, of the show. But then again... If I didn't do that, if that wasn't released, then I would be a hypocrite because I'm always oh. talking about how leadership needs to be vulnerable. You're, you're yes. talking about last Sunday. Last Sunday's show. Yeah, man. Yeah. The, uh, when you, Dave, and I had a really candid conversation about the direction of the show, which those are great questions Dave had. That's, that's somebody who's stepping into a role. They need to get a full understanding of what they're doing, and I'm really glad he asked those questions. I really am. I, and, I think um, what's going to be more interesting for the listening audience is watching you interact with him over a span of time now that they know he's on a 90-day probationary period. Yes. We're actually going to get to experience what it's like from the perspective of a new hire under you. That's that's right. And, and And how the success of that new hire, how whether he or she would finish or successfully pass those 90 days, how it really is on you how you coach them, how you guide them. It's not like they need life coaching. I'm talking about in the show and the policies and the procedures behind the scenes to make the show work. Dude, man, so it's really watch, watch him quit. <laughs> why, why don't you drive the man to quit the job that he's interning with for free? You know, that would be something. <laughs> we need to change that, man. We keep doing this for free. I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it's not free to run the show, but we definitely should have some kind of cash flow coming in with that. You know what? That's a good idea. Why don't we do this? And, and we could talk about this a little bit more. I'd, I'd like to keep Sundays just the way it is. I don't want it influenced by financial uh, dollars coming in. I, I'd like to keep it exactly the way it is. But those chats, 
like what Ricky Rose did on Friday. He's <laughs> he's the cousin of Charlie Rose. He's an amazing guy. I hope not. Yeah. He's so in Ricky trouble, Rose, <laughs> Ricky Rose came to the table and interviewed David Miklas on Friday, and there's been a lot of positive feedback on the heels of that from the way that that interview went. How'd you feel doing that directly one on one, getting that that nice dry monotone vibe going on? You were very PBS. You're Ricky Rose, I'm telling you. It was amazing. It really was. Uh, I loved it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I loved it. It was fun. Um, it, it's it's a different kind of fun because when you, Dave, and I are together, we go back and forth. Everybody, There's three different points of view, and we're, we're chopping it up for any given subject. With this one-on-one, it's, it's, it's the full attention is on that guest. The full attention is what on he or she wants to talk about. And they don't have to worry about what somebody else is going to say. It's solely about what their expertise is. And I thought David did an amazing job. Nicholas, he did a, a, a great job with it. He's been on the show before. He's a good friend of the show. But that man knows what he's talking about, right? When it comes to employment and labor law, he knows his shit. And um, um, I thought he made it easy for me because I didn't have to drag any information out of him. So that's awesome. Like like other people that I've talk, that, that I've spoken with, I'm trying to pull the information out, and for him, it's a faucet because he uh, he is knee deep into that ARPA stuff, man. He is <laughs> he's good. What the heck? I'm practicing my awkward laughter as per the current administration. So, um, with uh, why now you're laughing? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. So, the thing about outside looking in with the Friday with Ricky Rose and David Miklas like that, I mean, it was amazing. It really was. It was very good. It was very big. It was one of the greatest, bestest things I've seen or heard. I didn't get to see it, so I heard it. I'm not, I I don't look at you through a camera over your back. Okay. But let me tell you something outside looking in, I was like, wow, this is the boring HR director, Ricky Baez (laughs) that people need to hear from time to time. Like, We try to make HR fun on this show, but on that Friday show, you can make it boring. And people love it. It was very good. You get to hit that other cross-section now. It was informative. That's it what was it was. informative. It was informative. Well, no, he was fun. I'm not saying that you weren't fun. I'm just saying that you were a different you. You were, you were the professional you. It, it, not that you're not professional on this show, on the no, flagship. Yeah, but, that was work, Ricky. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was work, that was Ricky. work Ricky. Yeah. yeah. That's, that should be my uh, my pseudonym. I mean, we even had a shade of work, Ricky, on the Wednesday show that got released. You know, if you can't catch the full 60 or 90-minute flagship show on Sundays, but you caught the 30-minute on Wednesday or the 30-minute this past Friday, uh, that's Wednesday just happened. That was with Dave. The intern. And Ricky. And then on Friday, <laughs> it was David Miklas. With Ricky Rose. It was beautiful. And both of those gave you 30 extra minutes of content on each program. And then we're back to uh, back to square one, down in the trenches, Wait. slumming it on Sunday. Hold on. It's not just Ricky Rose. Jimmy Rose is going to be there as well, or J.C. Rose. Yeah, I'll be there from it's time to time. I'll be there from yeah. time to time. Absolutely. You do this way better than I do, man. You do it because you I ask know. those questions like it's a movie trailer. <laughs> no, you do. You do. If I was there, I would have screwed it up. I'd have been like, David Miklas. In a world where you show up to court, is it a double-breasted or single-breasted suit coat? You know, you see, I mean, there you go. We would have gone down a separate path. It, it would have been like you know, a, a, a bad version of my cousin Vinny being brought to the table. I don't know if he would have appreciated that. You know, I don't think <laughs> David Miklas shows up in court with a double-breasted suit with his pinky rings. You oh, don't wait. know what you're talking about over here. He's not that guy. 
you know, the next time he goes to court, he's going to be thinking about that because he listens to the show. <laughs> he's going to be thinking about that. And, he, and then he's going to he's going to take a picture of himself. Hashtag double breasts. Yeah, he's going to stop listening to Sundays and he's going to focus on the interview shows on Fridays, which are more boring, <laughs> but much more informative, much more informative. It is. It is. I'm uh, joking it, it, about it, the boring Ricky Pius. I know, I'm man. I about know. The boring. Dude, just just don't 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 compare me to Charlie Rose. He's got issues, bro. Yeah, he's an amazing <laughs> oh, yeah. That's interviewer. Right. That's right. Did he get fired for sexual harassment? I think he did, didn't he? He did, bro. <laughs> yes. He, he might need retraining to become a welder. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Seems to be a trend. We'll be talking about that coming up momentarily. But I, I, I want to directly dip in right now to that interview that you had with David Miklas. Um, what were you guys talking about again? That was uh, burpees or FERPA or AARP. What was that? So close. Um, we were talking about the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, ARPA, which was signed into ARPA. Not, ARPA, not to be confused with DARPA, that makes special scientific things and et cetera. That's right. So it's ARPA. Um, so it's um he look he's an employment and labor law attorney so it is his job to know that 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 act inside and out. So one of the things I wanted to do I wanted to focus on what HR people and business leaders need to consider um, on within their policies to make sure they're they they're following ARPA. It's a large document. There's a lot of ins and out ins and outs on it, but. What David and I were talking about is more along the W-2 employees, people who work for an organization and how that affects them. Oh, man, so then, those, those organizations are getting money hand over fist. Yes. Like if, if you had to play by the rules, you could get like $10 billion. Just keep your workforce for 30 days. And then they laid everyone off. They still <laughs> got the money, but they fired everyone like a month later. You know, they've been bailed out time and time and time again over the past year. But, Rick, there's so many people out there running their own shops, doing their own thing. There's no money for them. They've been turned out left and right. See, but I asked him that. I asked him. Um, so, um, actually, I do have a clip, JC. I got a clip. We were about uh, 16, 17 minutes into the interview. And this is when I asked David about what what benefits or how is that this rescue plan helps uh, gig workers, people who are 1099. And here's what he said. Here we go. Talking about how this affects the employee, the W-2 employee, and mm -hmm. whether you work for a private entity or the government, whether that's local government or federal government. How does this affect the 1099 workforce? How does this affect the gig worker? I mean, what kind of benefits do they get under this rescue plan? I don't think anything. Nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 think about it. How, how, could a, how can an employer get a tax credit if they're not paying taxes? Yeah. Uh, they're not matching them. If the worker is an independent contractor, then the business owner is not paying any kind of taxes on them. So it's only going to be for your W-2s. Wow. Got it. So what about to receive help as a uh, as as somebody who is a sole proprietor of an organization? For example, the barbershop I go to. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody in the barbershop is uh, is a 1099 contractor. Right. They're not W-2 employees. Mm -hmm. Right. So if they're sick, if they ha if if they want to get vaccinated. Right. How does that affect yep. that relationship with that contractor with with the barbershop owner? Well, that, I mean, that's that's goes with the territory when you're a contractor. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you get your own insurance. You get uh, you know that that's what happens when you're when you're a contractor. I, the example I always use when I give presentations is is the guy that cuts your grass. Um, you know, the long guy, um, you know, he brings his own equipment. 
He comes when it's good for him. He starts mowing the left side of the house when it's good for him and starts mowing the right side. You don't tell him any of that kind of stuff. Um, And as long as the project gets done, that's all that you care about if he's a truly uh, properly classified independent contractor. Um, So from that perspective, the barbershop, you know, if if Bob is sick and he normally is is one of the barbers, then maybe Tim comes in that day or that week Mm. and covers for him. Um, but you know, that's, that's, that's up to Bob to take care of his own health. I mean, that's, that's what happens <laughs> when you're an independent contractor. That's why they, they buy their own insurance for that kind of stuff. Usually. That is true. That is true. You know what? And, and yes, there are risks, right? Because for you in the exchange for you to have that liberty, that freedom for you to mm-hmm. kind of make your schedule, you do yep. have to deal with this. So that was David Miklis with Ricky Baez on the, uh, on the Friday interview show this past week. So, how, what was that quote again that he said? You're like, what about the independent worker? And he was like, ha ha, you're on your own. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it, had a, a... it had a swashbuckler vibe in the laugh <laughs> no, a little bit. No, no look, it, it's a, <laughs> what that told me is like, uh, it, it's poor guys, poor yeah. guys and gals that are out there, man. You don't got to tell was, me, man. I was shocked at that. I was really shocked because I'm like, um, shocked. I mean, I'm again, living it, Rick. Well, well, that's true. I'm living it right now with the independent business that I have up here in New York. My business partner and I, we have had like next to nothing for this past entire year. We've lost the predominance of all business to stay afloat. We've Mm -hmm. been ripping through the savings to continue to pay for insurance, pay for rent, pay for things. And the state has come down with that 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 medieval hammer, the, the hammer of Cuomo. While he's grabbing your genitals, this hammer is going to come down and cut off your business. And, and and then here comes the hand. Here comes the hand with the wallet. And it opens yep. up and says, look, we have some help for you. And as they open it up, they slam it shut again. Not for you. Why not for us? You don't have enough people. We go back to coffers now. You come talk to us later. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, wait. It's like an evil character. Out of a movie, you know. So, meanwhile, in Florida, you got people who uh, who file for those benefits fraud fraudulently, and they end up buying a Lamborghini and getting arrested for it. But in, <laughs> you didn't hear about that? Tell me that about this. Go on now. So, with the last rescue plan, where people, um, where organizations can um, can uh, apply for benefits or for some kind of income, some uh, uh, loans to help you out through the pandemic. This one guy in Miami just started a shell corporation, an LLC, which you could do really easy. Register the information with the state of Florida as an entity. And he applied for benefits and he got like $2 million. He doctored everything. Oh, my gosh. Everything was doctored. He um, he created a payroll sheet. He created all these documentation, submitted it, and he got he was given this money. Next thing you know, he's he bought a Lamborghini. Right. And he started flashing all this money. Somebody reported him and he got caught. He got caught because somebody reported him, not because of the system of the uh, checks and balances. Somebody reported him. If nobody would have reported him, how how long could that have gone? Now, that's in Florida. In, in some instances, probably like 20 years, like the college scandal for admissions. It could have gone on a long <laughs> time. True. You know, you don't know. But, but, but if this is the first time he's caught, how many times has he done it before? Exactly. How does he know? How do he, he got really lucky if that was his first time? I got it. Really <laughs> he's sitting home. I got an idea. I know what we're going to do today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's all Phineas and Ferb. No. <laughs> you know? Oh, by, by the way, uh, uh, 
the governor would not come down and touch your genitals, by the way. That was just a whole, there's a whole thing thank going on. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, there's a whole okay, thing going on with the governor in New York State right Laura's now. Still under investigation uh, for sexual harassment as well as the, uh, uh, some other stuff going on with retirement homes. Story for another time. So, so David, just like you said with the, with the independent worker, there's mm-hmm. not been a whole lot from that perspective. No, and you're seeing perhaps- it too. No, I'm seeing it too. So this this act, yes, it is a good thing for Americans as a whole, but they they forgot about the entrepreneur. They forgot about the independent country. They forgot about the heart and spirit that started this this country and it it catapulted it to where it is today. The reason this country is so successful today is because the freedoms people had in the past as an entrepreneur to really pursue that dream, to really start that business, and this plan comes out and it doesn't help him at all. Only if you're a legitimate, see, I'm not even going to say legitimate business because there's a lot of gig workers that are a legitimate business. So that's not even the right term. But I guess you have to be a certain size, a certain recognizable organization for you to get that that benefit. Like, when do you, where's the line that says you are a 1099 employee to an organization? And how big do you have to be for the for this act to really give you that money that you should use as a business to survive well then and all and or also where is that dividing line between what needs to be spelled out in definition from the higher level like that and what is being determined from the state level and states do have different laws in effect regulating work size for different benefits or rules or regulations or laws and and state laws are very complicated across the 57 state 52 how many territories are they going to make states again rick i can't remember I don't um, know. That's a whole bunch. I'm 50, kidding. I'm kidding. Spell <laughs> no. tomato with an E while we're at it. So the uh, <laughs> tomato oh, E. That's going tomato. back sometime. Do you remember that potato tomato? Potato. That was Ross Perot, right? Wasn't that Ross? No, Perot? that wasn't Ross Perot. No? Oh, who no. was it then? It was that other guy who did stuff with quail. things. Dan Quayle. That's right. The, the Birdman. Right. Yeah. Bird. <laughs> You'll never forget yeah. it when you remember it with things like that. But yeah, there's there's so many different rules that are in effect like that, and it could be so vastly different from state to state. You know, when when we're thinking about people getting back to work, if you are in the entrepreneurial realm, yes, it is going to be a lot harder until some of the state regulations of where you're located get lifted and let you return back to normal. And it's totally understood at the end of the day if there's more benefit to help a greater swath of people. If you've got a larger employee base and then you're going to bring those dollars forward to help out that particular company as well as those employers. But at the end of the day, people are losing their jobs. People are not working anymore. There's a lot going on in this country right now that does need some focus and attention. And I don't know if you know this, Ricky, but going back to December, Sherm stepped up to the plate with a plan. Mm hmm. I'm not sure if you took this yet or if, if you know much about it, but uh, Kathy Gertrude put out a press release on behalf of Sherm going back to December, December 16th of 2020, specifically stating that the Sherm Foundation is introducing getting talent back to work certificates. Now, ultimately, this getting back to work certificate program is funded with generous support from the Lumina Foundation. The certificate, which focuses on hiring qualified individuals who have criminal and or conviction records, is the first of its kind, according to Wendy Hmm. Safstrom, Sherm Foundation Executive Director. 
It's a 10-hour e-learning program providing the education and resources needed to inform HR practices in the attracting, hiring, and retaining of these individuals and equipping HR professionals with the skills that they need to do so. Now, through the multifaceted program, the Sherm Foundation and the HR community can influence large-scale systematic change for this critical population by spearheading workplace initiatives that offer second-chance populations a fair opportunity to gain employment, especially during these uncertain times. According to Sherm Research, Rick, more than 80% of hiring managers in the nationally representative poll that they conducted indicated that workers with a criminal history are highly high-quality hires equal to or even more effective than those without a criminal history. 74% of those same hiring managers indicated extreme value in hiring people with a criminal history in part because it costs relatively little to recruit and hire them. Mm. And just as a qualifier at the end of their article here, again, this is at Sherm.org. Feel free to check it out. Dates back to December. It states that the Lumina Foundation is a private Indianapolis-based foundation providing financial support for the initiative with curriculum created by the Center for Employment Opportunities. And the foundation has more than 30 years of experience working with reentry employment. The Lumina Foundation has not given us any money to talk about this today. Neither has Sherm. Ricky Baez, over to you. So here's what I heard. Sherm is selling a 10-hour e-course on how HR people need to be compassionate. Kind of. That's pretty that's, that's pretty much what I heard. Got it. Okay. Okay, no. So I'm joking. You, you, you are correct about that part, but specifically on getting people back to work, and they're specific about this very particular cross-section of society. No, I get it. it, it it's so... But this this certificate is for the HR professional, right? On on what to look for, on not to easily dismiss somebody who may have had a blemish on their record, some kind of a criminal record, and how to reemploy them. I get it, I get it, and and that's a big thing these days, right? Even before this pandemic, it's organizations had an issue with that because you've got you've got some people who deserve second chances. They've had issues in the past, and nobody is willing to give them that second chance. Now, from a from an organization perspective, taking the emotion out of it, I get why organizations are wary, right? Because if you hire somebody who had a, a, a history of killing people, I don't know, 20, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and they paid their debt to society and then you hire them and then they kill somebody on your watch, then, then yeah, the organization's in trouble at that point. Yeah, right? but uh, conversely, and we're going to be talking about this coming up in our Florida stories towards the end of the program, you could very well be a skilled and qualified professional who is potentially using uh, legal medicinal assistance yeah. <laughs> in your state and potentially be deemed criminal due to whatever statutes that are yeah. or are not in place. And then you're, you're stuck in the middle of a political debate when it comes to whether or not you have that record that should be expunged, should not due time, not due time, uh, is it criminal, is it not criminal? And again, this comes back to uh, medical or recreational marijuana. It's going to be our Florida story coming up later on. Stick around for that. But yeah, Rick, um, there's a myriad of things that could put people on the spectrum looking for reentry into the workforce from this perspective. Absolutely. It, it's, it does. And here's, here's what a lot of big organizations do. They don't handle the background themselves. They outsource it to another organization. 
And from a legal perspective, again, I'm not an attorney. I'll let the attorney's deal answer this question. But from my perspective, I'll just say that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All five of you. Ricky in his <laughs> double-breasted <laughs> suit up to the mic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, right. Um, so when when an organization gets a third party or a, a third party vendor to handle those, that it shields them from any kind of an, of of issue that could come from that, right? Because they can easily say, oh, well, I didn't deny you or bring you in. This organization did. And at the very least in the state of Florida, um, if you hire a third party organization, they messed up. It's really on you. Right? <laughs> um, it, it really is because, yeah. because you should know why they, because they're representing you. Right, right. So. At the end of the day, I really think that um, uh, HR professionals need to take each each and indiv- each individual case, take it on a case by case basis, and really take a deep dive on what happened and what that person has been trying to do ever since. If they're if they're on the right path and they paid their debt to society, give the person a second chance. But you got to balance it with giving that person a second chance and the liability you could bring to the organization. That is a real thing that HR professionals and business leaders really have to take into account. So you've been a sure member before, uh, but you've you've paid the high dollar amounts to maintain your post nominal credentials with a certificate program like this. Is this normally something that's like part of your standard membership dues or do they charge extra for these kind of things? I am pretty sure that um, for members, they give them a slight discount, but it's not going to be free. And do you, <laughs> do you wind up getting post-nominals associated with certificate programs? No, no, you don't. Not for a certificate program. You know what? How can we change the industry to be more inclusive of more post-nominals? Because <laughs> honestly, it would be pretty fantastic. You just what? take that certificate program and get another post-nominal. Dude, I your, had a your, your business <laughs> name is a paragraph. At the end of the day, <laughs> I know that's the that's the problem. I had a professor in college who's post nominal. The letters in the post nominals were double the amount of letters in his full first, middle, and last name. Bob Smith. And I'm like, whoa, dude! Somebody needs a PlayStation. <laughs> Somebody needs a hobby because you have way too. I do. I do believe in being overeducated. I do think that is a thing. And look, if you want to be knowledgeable in something, go have at it. I just don't see any reason why you should continue to get this degree and that degree and that degree. If you want to prove something to yourself, that's fine. I just don't see the need for it, especially in this country where college is extremely expensive. Well, big shout out going out to Ashley Duhame over on LinkedIn. Um, The awareness of this certificate was brought to the table from an inside source who let us know that uh, she did recently complete this certification and uh, many kudos to you for doing so. It's going to be interesting to hear uh, feedback from her as well as many others as they continue to put this into application yeah. moving forward. Speaking about moving forward, uh, I need to take you on a journey, Ricky. This is going to be from the journal-news.com. Butler County's local news now. This was written by Lynn Hulsey, the Dayton Daily News. Thousands of jobs are available right now in the Dayton region, despite ongoing efforts of the pandemic recession. But many employers face a similar problem, finding and keeping skilled workers. 
has led to an intense focus train uh, training endeavor tied to in-demand jobs, providing everything from basic job hunting to high-tech skills, according to a Dayton Daily News investigation. It's all hands on deck. Local leaders, they're very optimistic about companies, um, how they're going to be better able to fill positions as the economy recovers and coronavirus vaccines become increasingly available. And uh, with that, it'll be interesting to see whether or not experimental vaccines are mandated as you move forward or non-experimental vaccines mandated. It'll be interesting what the future holds as an aside from the story there. But we know that the economy is going to come roaring back, uh, said Nick Weldy, superintendent of the Miami Valley Career Technology Center, and coming back with a bigger need for a skilled workforce. Their goal right now is to uh, focus on that high-demand sector and focus on retraining. There's a very high demand right now for commercial truck driver license training. The pandemic forced the closure of the county's program at the Ohio Business College in Trotwood, but it has reopened with reduced capacity due to pandemic safety protocols. The trucks must remain six feet apart. <laughs> I, I added that. I added that. I thought it was fitting, Rick. It's truck safety. Yes. That's right. The pipeline of new drivers into the industry is significantly less because of the pandemic. Because they have to stay six feet apart, right? So uh, they're, they're training people 30 and 50% fewer drivers in 2020 than what they did in 2019. Uh, the trucking industry in general did lose 45,000 drivers when a new online clearinghouse started last January. So ultimately, at the end of the day, what they're looking to do here is uh, focus on retraining all the way around. And pay is going to continue to go up. Registered nurses, they're the... Most second common online job listing that you're going to find on the internets that was invented by Al Gore and renamed by George Bush. Now, followed by software developers, uh, retail sales supervisors, and retail sales persons. So there's always a need for nursing at the end of the day. There's a particular need for critical care nurses, especially those that that are in a place to uh, focus on COVID-19. And they're seeing a need for emergency room staff, specifically nurses. So this uh, this endeavor, uh, the the county last year, this county in Dayton there had a three point three million dollar federal workforce money incentive that was bestowed upon them. I don't know if it was an incentive or or just a mm-hmm. grant or what it was, but the focus was to train adults, and three point one million of that uh, was for its youth works training program. So again, reframe that. Three point three million dollars in federal money came to them. Three point one million was for youth works. How much is left over to train adults? Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyone? Please. I don't know. Hey, hey, Google. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. We need some retraining in mathematics here. Yeah, we know? do. <laughs> so look, the reason I'm bringing this up and, and stop by journal-news.com. Again, this was written by Lynn Holsey. Job opening plentiful. Workers scarce. It's all hands on deck to get people trained. I want to talk to you about retraining. I want to talk to you about getting people back to work. It doesn't matter right now in this discussion if they have that criminal background history because Sherman's going to help us get those people back there. It doesn't matter if they used to be an HR professional and want to be a truck driver right now. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You mentioned this this past week on the Wednesday show, Rick. When you look at a resume, you could tell right away where someone fits in a generational bucket. 
If they've held that job for a long time, where would they fit on the generational bucket uh, spectrum to you? They had a career for 25 years. They're yeah. a millennial? Mm-hmm. Or no, they're not a millennial. Well, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm thinking what I'm thinking now is because of this pandemic, that's that that question would have a different answer in five years. And the reason I'm saying that is because this pandemic put a a different spin on that rationale as far as yeah, how sure. I can identify. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, some, if somebody's held that job for 25 years and their resume is like one page or two pages, to me, that's obviously a Gen Xer okay. or a, a baby boomer. All right. That answer is going to be different later on, though. Well, of course it right? will. Of it's course different. it will. Yeah. But uh, so here's my question for you, piggybacking off of that. When we think about rehiring, retraining, um, bringing people back into the workforce and try to build those new skills, mm-hmm. you might not necessarily find someone that's direct out of school to fill that job. Maybe you do. Maybe they're going to job hop for the next five years. So you're going to go position to position. You know what you're getting. You know kind of what you're getting yourself into hiring someone directly out of school. You already know that. Yep. But now as employers or community organizations start to put together retraining for very specific skills, and now you're bringing someone into your fold that just had a 20, 30-year career somewhere else, yep. from a recruiting and onboarding perspective, if you have those two candidates in front of you, they have neither have any expertise in this field in particular. You have the opportunity to train them both from scratch. Let's mm-hmm. say let's say your organization is going to bring them up to speed. You are training them from scratch. Do you lean towards the candidate fresh out of school? Or do you lean to the candidate that that just had 22 years in HR yeah. that's now looking to redefine who they are and head down a new path? That's a dude. That is a great question. And to I know honest, it is. That's why I asked it. <laughs> sure needs to do away with that criminal certification thing, and they should focus on this because this is this is <laughs> what really you're killing me. It's not a criminal certification. <laughs> it's not a criminal certification. No, they're certifying you to be a criminal. No, they're no? not certifying you to be a criminal. <laughs> Shoot, you're killing me. I completely me. misunderstood that story. <laughs> no, look. So here's how I would handle it, bro, to be honest. It would depend on the interview. All right. Right. All right. Because if I make a decision based on the resume alone, then I'm looking at the at, at the information they put on paper they want me to see. Right. And I get it. Credentials are good. Right. So your your resume is a receipt or an advertisement of what you actually do. But I want to see the actual product. So if I'm interviewing both and it's down to both of them, what I would do, well, let's say the position requires somebody who needs to hit the ground running, and I mean running. And the person who's got 25 years of experience somewhere else, if they're moldable and they're flexible and they got plenty of experience and they don't need to be told what to do, just minimal push to get things going, I'm going with a 25-year person, 25-year person, because I need that person to be running right now. Whereas the person fresh out of school, I'm going to need a little bit hand-holding. But if I had another position for that person that I had some time to really partner them up with somebody who can be their big brother, be their big sister, so they can be successful in that organization, then, yeah, definitely I'm going to hire that person as well. But the interview, the interview really needs to be 
Um, they really need to wow me about how flexible they are and how hungry they are about uh, learning that that specific position. So that's a hard one to ask, bro. It really is. All right. All right. Let's let's drill in uh, to a little bit more specifics then. Okay. Say within your organization during the interview process, it's very firm and rigid. It is very clear that while you're interviewing the person, you're looking for a very specific answer. You're talking about a pathway. Yeah. And that pathway goes from the lower left to the upper right on a diagram. And now you're standing by waiting to hear the responses of how they say that pathway goes. And one person says it goes diagonal. And the other one says it goes cockeyed. Or it goes uh, slightly from the lower left to the upper right. They describe it differently. They don't use the key word in the interview. Maybe the resume already beat the applicant tracking system Maybe the recruiters are smart enough because there's a big push right now on the Internet that says it's not the applicant tracking system. It's smart recruiters, and we're weeding people out. Okay, good. Sure. Keep it going. Keep up that good work. But now when you get into the interview portion, are you doing yourself a disservice looking for very specific words as if it was a deposition? Absolutely. If you look for specific words for them to say – so. If I'm that kind of a recruiter or that kind of an interviewer, the person can rock their freaking house in that interview. But if they don't say specific words that I'm looking for, I'm not going to hire them. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's no. Yeah, that's that is crap. Hey, that was <laughs> that is a French for crap. <laughs> oh, you, you found don't your niche with that one. Look at you. <laughs> I sure did find my niche. niche. <laughs> Whatever. No, yeah, dude. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I want again. When I interview JC, um, I do ask specific questions because I want to know how excited they get about what I'm mentioning. Again, if I'm looking for somebody to be a whiz in Excel and I mention Excel, a specific project, if the eyes get dialed, they get excited. I'm like, oh, oh yes, I found my person. Can, can you tra- can you train someone better than what they would uh, receive through uh, a degree? If, if maybe you had the opportunity to bring someone on board straight out of high school. And they were hungry. They were eager. They were ready to get directly into the field. And you were able to put a training program in place to make them a potential apprentice along the way. Could you bring them up to speed better and and more highly skilled and crafted and honed and focused than what they would get going to college and receiving a $180,000 diploma to then come out and work for you for $40,000? (laughs) <laughs> so in general in general yeah real just world, generally speaking yeah, yeah yeah real world application is always better because in college generally all you get is theory all you get is the foundations the fundamentals the theory and then you get to apply it to work somewhere else so if i was to create a training program for my associates at work that they get those transferable skills that and they can be they, they get to become experts in it then yeah, because I think what I would create or any HR person or any organization would create would be the better training for that organization. The question is, would the associate find it as valuable as a college degree? Because if this person decides to jump ship and go somewhere else, the other business may not find that skill set as valuable as depending what kind of value they put on an earned college degree, whether you went to an Ivy League school or not. So I personally think that a training environment 
where you could throw a new learner into that they are able to test and learn new processes. They're allowed to try new things. And if they fail, they learn from it and they don't get massacred for it. That is the best training any employee can ever have. And it would it would run laps around any kind of an online certificate. There was kind of a push before this whole pandemic-y thing that uh, was really taking HR down the path of a potential strong focus on apprenticeship. I did see that. It kind of got curtailed. Yeah. Things happened. (laughs) The majority of your HR staff and workforce got cast to the winds through the pandemic times, and then those that survived were blessed, but also at the same time had to deal with new problems on the backside. It's been it's been a long, long road, Ricky Bias. It certainly has. I know you know firsthand. Um, thinking about apprenticeship right now in 2021 compared to the optimism of apprenticeship in 2019, do you think that there's more room for advancement of that moving forward? If an organization decides to put an an apprenticeship program in place without any incentive from any outside organizations, that organization who decides to do that and be the forefront of that venture is going to have a step ahead of the competition, hands down. But if you wait for an outside organization like SHRM to say, hey, here is this certificate we're going to do on an apprenticeship program. Why should we have to wait for an organization to do that? Why should we have to do that? It's funny you mentioned that, Mr. Baez. Check this out. Mm -hmm. So this came out on March 26th uh, from HR Dive. This was written by Ryan Golden. Ryan is an amazing writer. Feel free to stop by and check out his other stories on Twitter. He enjoys short walks on the beach because he doesn't have one near where he lives. He does enjoy a cappuccino from time to time, as long as it's not homemade. Keep that golden retriever hair to yourself. Ryan Golden, an amazing writer. Once again, this is from HR Dive. In a March 18th virtual signing ceremony, he states, industrial cutting tool manufacturer Hypotherm agreed to become the first employer participant in the HR apprenticeship program operated by Sherm. The program, a registered apprenticeship program under the U.S. Department of Labor, includes 144 hours of required technical instruction in HR competencies such as HR management, staffing, employment law, and compensation and benefits. In addition to on-the-job experience per a SHRM webpage, the SHRM Foundation estimated the length of the length of between 18 and 24 months to complete the program with the goal of preparing apprentices to take the SHRM CP exam upon completion, which will then also have a fee associated with that that is not part of the article. But mm-hmm. maybe it won't. I, I don't know. I'm speculating. It would be good to find out. Quote, by the conclusion of our grant with DOL, we anticipate engaging more than 800 apprentices, said Wendy Savstrom, executive director of SHRM. She stated this during a virtual event this past week. The commitment to talent development sends a strong message to all employees about the workplace that a company wants to foster. HR Dive does provide deeper insights. Stop by their website, hrdive.com. Once again, title of the article, Tool Manufacturer First to Join Sherm Foundation HR Apprenticeship Program and or 
please Google Ryan Golden, an amazing writer. Ricky, back to you. So, yeah, Sherm is uh, is is throwing that out there, partnering with these organizations. Here's here's my advice to these businesses out there. You can do this on your own. You can do this on your own if you put together a pro, whether it's a leadership program, a MIT, also known as a manager and training program, or an HR discipline program. Put that together on your own, and 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 then you'll be able to create an environment. You'll be able to create a culture where where anybody who's not even in HR, who's thinking about making a switch over, God, I want to go ahead and be part of that apprenticeship program. And you can cross train people left and right. You know how, Jason, you know how awesome it would be if we have a uh, an HR organization, an organization that has an HR team made up mostly of prior operations managers. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. It would be strong, exactly. dude. People who understand the business and why the business exists in HR, not knows HR and casually knows about that business. Yeah, I don't know. But that's at the point where in those types of talks and discussions, when you try to find people like that, um, you're opening up a can at the same time. You might be inheriting some some bad traits and behaviors, some hatred for HR along the way, right? <sighs> I mean, why would you want to get into something you hate? <laughs> to make it better? Uh, it was, as I was just about to say that. Unless you see some things that are wrong and you, you, you have an idea how to make it right, so you get into that system and you fight it from the inside out. I commend that. I do. Because if you see something that needs to be changed, instead of bitching and complaining about it, do something about it and learn about that field from the inside. Yeah, but Maybe then your insiders at the same time are going to come firing back at you, aren't they? They're 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 going to maybe not accept you, and they're going to put you on the outside looking in through the process with the goal of trying to get you out of there, right? Then they right? have no business being in that whole realm to begin with. They have no business because if you feel threatened, if you as an HR professional feel threatened by somebody from ops coming in, then you're not you're not doing your job. Something there is missing. If you feel that threat, I welcome that. I welcome that that experience that because that could just help out the organization or even anywhere they go because they see both sides. They, they do see both sides of the coin. I have spoken to people who went from ops into human resources. And once they get into human resources, they're like, oh, now I get why you're doing it this way. Okay. Now okay. I understand. All right. So, I, so I've got a million dollar question for you there, Mr. Uh... Efrain Ricky Baez, CEO of Baez Co Learning. When you're talking I about better clear. I check better clear. <laughs> when when you're talking about <laughs> interfacing with one of your clients, when you're looking at their infrastructure, when you think about people that are cutting back in the process of, of their lives and what they're doing, right? And they're turning to you because hey, times are tumultuous. We don't want to lose anyone else at this company. Let's let's pretend right now. This is me, business owner, talking to you, HR consultant, okay? okay? I don't want to let any more people go. I have qualified, skilled people here, but they're not skilled in the areas that I need people. We mm -hmm. had to make tough cuts. We had to make tough choices. And also, through all this, some people left on their own. We're not looking to close shop. We want to keep moving forward. I have 10 people in administration that are skilled in these things as administrative assistants for my various departments. 
Mm -hmm. I don't have an HR team anymore. I need to recalibrate this. And, and, and I don't want to hire brand new people to let these other people go. Can you help me retool my workforce or what options are there on the table to take these 10, shift them over to HR and, 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 and maybe work with you? Is, is something like that even doable nowadays? Or do you absolutely. really have to clean the... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, absolutely. Um, what, what I would ask is, well, I would assume this is a, an organization that has over a thousand employees and, um, and yeah, so, so yeah, so I'm assuming this is an, a, a rather large organization and they are a for-profit organization because my question now is going to be is you don't want to let anybody go. I completely understand that. Um, you got people who, who are working there, their skill set is no longer as valuable as it was before. But they know the but business. They know the they, business. Correct. So you've got a decision to make. The decision is, all right, let's put let's 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 map out, let's budget out what a training program will look like. What is that going to look like? How much money you're going to spend? And what's the likelihood of these uh, of of these folks sticking with you if you do this training program right? Obviously, they are going to stick with you, right? More likely than not. But how much is that going to cost? And how much strain is that going to put on your limited resources? Let's see how much that – and put that into a package because, remember, executives, they respond to the language of numbers. And if you're able to put a number to that and you compare it to the number of just – and hear me out here – Getting rid of all those all those associates who don't have the skill set you need and give them a really good transition pay package. Give them a really good severance so you can help them transition into somewhere else. And then you spend money on recruiting the right skill set you need so they can hit that ground running. You package that up and you see how much that's going to cost. Not only that, you have to take into account how much that's going to cost in morale. Because if you go with option B, where you get rid of people, yes, you do need to figure out how much the the, uh, the service is going to cost, helping them out, giving them all these services. But you got to uh, calculate the cost of morale. Because if other people see, wow, they just let go Margaret, Bob, Kenny, Susan, Karen, and they brought all these new other people in, you got to take into account how, what that's going to look like. And if those folks have been around with you for a while, and then you go ahead and um, – um, and you let them go. Next thing you know, almost everybody you brought back in is a younger, better version of them. Uh, watch out. <laughs> Why? Why do you watch say watch out? out? Well, because people, well, optics is important here. And then that may look like you got rid of old people and you brought in new people. Age-wise, that is going to create an issue for you EEOC-wise because somebody. Yeah, but you did. Them. You did. At the end of the day, you did. You you got rid of the old. You brought in the new. The new that's uh, highly qualified, skilled, and trained, and they're younger, and you got them for cheaper. I mean, that's that how it works, right? Right. Yeah, but that wasn't the intention. You asked me, oh. right? Yeah, the intention was one thing, and what and you work on that intention. And if you don't do it right, the optics could send something different, and now you're going to spend a bunch of money to defend yourself in court. So. It's it's that's the conversation I would have with that CEO. I would I, look if you've got the money, I would opt with option one because not only does that help you um, uh, um, in that venture in the long run, because all of these folks know the business, but it helps morale. It lets everybody else know there's upward mobility in this organization, and they're willing to train me. So 
it, it, it's at the end of the day, that CEO is going to have to pick which one has the least financial impact on the organization and, the, and will yield the biggest results. At the end of the day, it is about dollars and cents, the, regardless how you chop it up. I love it. I love it. I do. I really do. Hey, um, I do have something else I want to ask you, but before we transition into it, I got to ask you, is, is there audio coming out of your computer or are your headphones up too high? Because when I'm talking, it's slapping back through your mic. Oh, there's a, no. there's an echo feedback loop that's taking place here. I I have no idea what it is. It it happened like about thirty minutes ago or so. That's that's actually a lot better. I, he, he, Ricky Bias literally it. has his hands over the uh, the headphones, pressing them onto his grape, just a little bit tougher there. I'm almost passing. <laughs> yeah, don't do that anymore. I'll hey, get, uh, so you were you were on the field. Uh, you were out in the field. You you were on the floor again for another fantastic conference this past week isn't that right tell me about that you got to fill us uh, in before yeah, we hit man. the top of the hour we hit disrupt hr daytona 2.0 this was this past tuesday march 20 whatever i don't know what they that was right a now. virtual event no it no, was live no. yeah brother it was we're in florida <laughs> yeah so we were no look this venue was great it was a smaller venue in the land which is just outside of um of uh the what? of daytona the land, Florida. You were, know who's from the land. Hang on a second, though. Were you in the building in the land? <laughs> I took no, I the was, car to the, the building in the land. <laughs> no, I was in a building in the land. It was by but, the restaurant. There was the floor. We had the mic. That was the whole, was the very good thing. And that was it. <laughs> no, it, it's Jennifer Bryan is from the land. Oh, that's right. Did you get to see her or anyone no. from her company there? No, I, I you know what? I don't know if anybody from her company was there. I didn't even notice that. I, I was all over the place. I was the music guy. I was the half MC guy. Summer Siraj, she did an amazing job. It, it, it's, dude, it was great. It feels good being out talking to other human beings again, not through Zoom. It really did feel good, man. And um, it, it, I can't wait for the next one. Um, people were there. They were having a great time. It's like seeing each other. It's like we were on float in the Marine Corps on a ship, and then we get back, and we were having a big party afterwards, man. It was good to get out of the house. Now, it's really odd for me to say because I'm always out of, the house, out of the house anyway. This is Florida, after all. Um, but to be an event like that again, because don't get me wrong, the last one we did, JC, for Orlando Virtual, that was good. I just, I just missed the human contact, man. I yeah, it, it was good, but it wasn't good at the same time. I mean, the, the face-to-face, there's definitely something more magical about that. And we do have some magic coming up in a few short weeks here. We're going to be at Space Coast 2021 down in Melbourne, Florida at the Crown Plaza on the beautiful shores of the Atlantic Coast, just just down the road from where the rockets go up into the sky. The Space Literally. Coast uh, 2021 conference will be in person. Social distancing guidelines will be in effect. And I think uh, there might be bag lunches for all. No, I don't know what they're doing for lunch yet. <laughs> wow. No, they, they actually have really good food there, too. Like, if, if you've been there for a conference, their food is, like, on point. It's Florida, though. So there's going to be some amazing things happening, a lot of great in-person networking as well at the same time. We have details on that and more. Check out the social medias. We'll get some posts put out about that ASAP. But if you're not already aware, Space Coast 2021, Ricky and I will both be there. And we're looking forward to seeing all of you. Yeah. JC is going to do the MC work. He's going to be the master of ceremony, getting everybody pumped up. 
Let me tell you, the last time we were there, last time we were there, it, it's a we had a blast, and we got some good feedback, JC. I was speaking, you were the MC. We were both working the uh, HR Talk podcast booth, and we got some feedback because that was the very first time that after an event, almost everybody stuck around for happy hour, hung out on the beach, took out the shoes, and fun. really hung out and mingled. It was a good time. Yeah, we make, and you like, and I make things fun. That's exactly what it comes down to at the end of the day. We make things fun, and we're going to make this one fun. That's right. That's right. I will be there in the HR Talk booth. I will have my shirt, and we may may get a special visit may get a special visit from somebody special who lives in the area maybe the face of the franchise it depends it depends i gotta talk to him make sure he's good Current events this week is brought to you in part by the echo and feedback coming from Ricky's headphones. <laughs> I'm going to pad your mic down while I read this story to everybody right here. I, I don't know exactly where that's coming from, but it's definitely coming from somewhere over on your side. So the first story that I have for everybody right here, this is coming to us directly from the uh, EIN News, the EEOC online seminar on COVID-19 and return to work. Employer responsibilities and employee rights. This is going to be taking place on March 31st of 2021. The EEOC is hosting its first virtual EEO seminar of 2021. Workplace transformation light at the end of the tunnel and along the way. It will be held March 31st from noon to 310 p.m. Eastern time. It's a highly informative and interactive seminar featuring some of the EEOC's most senior leaders and other highly esteemed and sought-after speakers. We are unsure if Ricky Baez will be speaking for this one just yet. They plan to provide employers and employees in both private and public sectors, including state, local, and federal governments, with information, tools, and strategies to address emerging issues in equal employment opportunity and human resources. Specifically, this seminar will provide training, education, and guidance on topics of increased interest during the pandemic, such as reasonable accommodations, religious protections amid the pandemic, as well as COVID-19 and the laws that are enforced by the EEOC and COVID-19's impact on women and caregivers. The registration fee for the event is $150 per person. HRCI, SHRM, and federal EEO investigator refresher credits will be provided on an hour-for-hour basis. Additionally, an application has been made with the North Carolina State Bar for continuing legal education, CLE credit, and information will be provided on how to seek CLE credits in other states. Do not, do not miss this amazing opportunity to hear directly from the EEOC on maintaining compliance with the law and creating a model EEO workplace during these unprecedented and ever-changing times. Stop by the EEO website, EEOC website for details and more information. Ricky Baez, over to you. Folks, this is a great opportunity to refresh those skills that you're going to need to ensure you as an HR professional 
do right by your business partner and your organization. Do not take these sessions and think, ah, it's just crap. It's just a refresher. You need this refresher, especially with what's been happening with the pandemic these past 18, 19 months, almost two years. Well, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's it's what what you need to take into account, HR folks out there, business leaders, is that there's new this is a new venture that we're that we're embarking on as far as um, uh, uncharted territory with discrimination claims and ADA claims and accommodation claims. And they've had the, the, the EEOC have had plenty of time to field these and create this training program. So this is one of those training programs that I really do advise that you attend if you can or try to educate yourself. I'm pretty sure the information is out on Google somewhere on 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 what you would need to do. But pay attention to this one because this is a special time and I don't mean that in a good way to where HR people need to address these accommodation issues, religious issues, medical issues, and discrimination issues from a different point of view. I I would go to that one. I really would. Your next story here is coming to us from PRNewsWire.com. PRNewsWire.com. I see IMS has expanded leadership within their organization. They're appointing Johnny C. Taylor to the board of directors. The Sherm CEO brings 20 plus years of global leadership to the talent cloud company out of Holmden, New Jersey. As of March 17, 2021, the talent cloud company, ICIMS incorporated announced the appointment of Johnny C. Taylor to his board of directors in his role. Taylor will provide strategic insight and counsel to support continuous innovation and operational growth excellence for ICIMS, the next phase of their growth. Quote, talent is driving up. I'm sorry. Quote, talent is the driving force behind every business transformation which is why we are thrilled to welcome Johnny to our team. As according to Steve Lucas, CEO of ICIMS, his expertise will be incredibly valuable as we deliver the innovation organizations require to transform their talent strategies and build their winning workforce. Now, Johnny C. Taylor is currently president and chief executive officer for SHRM, the largest HR professional association in the world, which is also debatable because HRCI is equally just as large. The two of them continue to battle like Jedis in the sky. Ricky Bias, over to you. <laughs> Jedis in the sky. That's a new one. Um, I'm thinking, <laughs> here I am thinking, all right, he's getting used to Star Wars reference, Jedis in the Sith. No, Jedis in the sky. Like if in they the were sky. angels. Yeah, they're just they're in the sky. Yeah, I got you. Um, let me be careful here. You know what? No, forget. I'm not going to be careful. Isn't that a conflict of interest? Wouldn't that put him in a really peculiar situation? Why? If well, what if that particular organization wants to bid for a contract with Sherm, and other people are competing? Wouldn't him being appointed to that board and also being the president of Sherm? Put the both organization no the Sherm organization in a really uncomfortable position, right? Because what? Oh, if- oh, oh! I get it. Just like you're putting me in a uncomfortable spot right now. Yeah, no, I'm no, I'm not going to comment on this. You're the one who brought up Jedi's in the sky, dude. You threw me off with that. So whatever. 
So, <laughs> no, it, look, here's what I'm going to say with that one. Um, good for him. I just, I really hope, I really hope the attorneys at the uh, Sherm organization really vetted this through because if there's any kind of a contract um, situation where somebody's bidding for a job and they get it, there's going to be a lot of questions about the influence they have on both boards. That's all I'm going to say there. Your next story is coming to us from LiveScience.com Written by Ed Gent Ed Gent As we heard earlier in the program today uh, Ricky and David Miklis did talk about uh, the uh, ARPA thing there moments ago So um, this story is kind of fitting DARPA has taken steps towards the holy grail of encryption Now, uh, the U.S. Defense Department is searching for what could be considered the holy grail of data encryption, which would seal up a loophole that allows hackers to access sensitive information while it's being processed. In modern encryption, a well-defined set of calculations known as an algorithm scrambles the data so that it's (laughs) no longer readable. I'm laughing because I made you laugh, Ricky. That's funny. Those allowed to access the data are given a string of numbers called a key, which is the code that lets you unscramble the data again. Now, if someone wanted to use the encrypted data to do anything useful, they would first have to decrypt it back into so-called plain text, which makes it susceptible to snooping. To help protect that now decrypted information, those working with the plain text typically only do so on trusted uh, computers. But as is apparent from the regular headlines about data breaches at major organizations, it's becoming difficult to tell which devices actually are secure. Given all the news about these hackings and the hackerers, these malware attacks, we can't fully trust all of our hardware systems. According to Tom Rondu, a program manager at DARPA, as he spoke to Live Science. That's why DARPA is trying to spur breakthroughs in something called fully homomorphic encryption, FHE. The technique makes it possible to analyze computer data while it's still in its encrypted form. That could allow financial crimes investigators to scour sensitive bank records without exposing customer details. Now, for instance, or or let health researchers analyze private health data with while preserving patients' privacy through it all, according to Rondu. The technique could also help military keep their battlefield data more secure and make it easier to let allies work with classified intelligence data. Here's a slightly and highly simplified example of how this might work. Imagine uh, imagine an encryption scheme that scrambles data by multiplying it by three. So if you encrypt the number eight, you get 24. If you multiply your encrypted data by two, you get 48. When you decrypt it again by dividing by three, you get 16, which is the same result you get if you just multiplied your unencrypted data by two. In the example, the encryption method is pretty easy to work out from that result right there. So it's it's not secure. But what FAG relies on is something far more complicated. It's called lattice cryptography. And I'm just about done with this for you, Rick. It basically encodes data as it coordinates on a lattice. Lattices can be thought of as grids with regularly spaced dots. But unlike the two-dimensional grids that we're used to, FHE lattices are multi-dimensional. 
We're talking about multidimensional encryption using the X and Y coordinates and numerous axes. This is huge. It's going to take encryption to a completely different level. This article is very in-depth. And DARPA is a force to be reckoned with. Just like what Ricky and David Miklas talked about on Friday. Ricky Bias, back to you. So this Aladdin encryption process, what it does, it just, it it gives... Lattice. Just, Lattice. Lattice, not Aladdin. God, Aladdin sounds better. Um, so if they put out there their encryption process, doesn't that, isn't that just giving away the secrets, right? If they're saying this is how we encrypt, I mean, I'm sure, I'm assuming there's a lot more to it, right? And I get it. I get it. it it's, but if, ah, all I'm saying is the more information we put in the cloud, the more we have to worry about this. And from an HR perspective, the more careful you have to be with employee data that you put into the cloud. So yes, HR people, you better learn this language, learn this Aladdin stuff, because what's going <laughs> to end up happening, I know, I'm playing. No, because this is this is crucial information, especially because the future of work will be on the cloud. It will be in the cloud. And the more convenient that is for an organization, the more vulnerable your information becomes to, to, to people out there who are looking to get your information and do bad things with it. So I'm glad they are, they are going on that venture. I just I, I need to take my own advice and I need to get better anchored with that stuff because I have no the only encryption stuff I know of, bro, is what you and I dealt with back in the Marine Corps. And that's the first time I ever heard of the word encryption. Up until then, I have no idea what it was. I'm thinking, wow, we're dealing with Superman stuff. No, that's Krypton. Completely different, Ricky. So 25 years later, I'm like, oh, we're dealing with the same stuff we dealt with in communications in the Marine Corps. And dude, speaking of which, do you remember back then when you sent a letter to your parents or your girlfriend back when you was in the service and you got that letter back and they wrote to you? They put your name and your social security number on the outside of the envelope. That way it got to you. Yeah. And you had your social security number written on your underwear. Yes, you did. <laughs> 25 years later, we can't even say your name or your birthday. If not, different different uh, bots, different apps will figure out who you are and, and steal your identity. Yeah, right, right, and, right. And then if you think over to like uh, 2000, what was that, 2009? When the internet changed a little bit and Facebook was like, we require you to use your full legal name. Oh, what, what, where are you born to? Where, where, where are you from? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it's, it's just crazy what 25 years have done. And just imagine where we will be in another 25 years. We, we are basically uh, with social media. We are back to AOL chat room status. Be as yes. anonymous as possible. You know, <laughs> we are getting there, right? Dude, I had great feedback the other day from Cornfinger number five. Like, uh, really? Really? Okay. But do you see what I'm saying? This circle is about to come full. We're about to get there. And in the 2000s, the biggest thing was eBay and, and having an eBay store with awnings and everything. And going to brick and mortar stores was a thing of the past. Then that bubble bus. And then people wanted to go back into these brick and mortar stores. Then Amazon started to get really big. Next thing you know, brick and mortar stores are out, and now Amazon's bringing in brick and mortar stores. So, and they disrupted the trucking industry. All these things. Anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's um as you go on 
in time. It's uh, technology evolves and it evolves quicker and quicker and quicker. This encryption thing is key and HR people get to know it because you need to safeguard your 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 company's employees private data. You don't I, 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 I want to talk to you about the uh, brick and mortar store stuff for a second here before yeah. we hit our next current event topic. Yeah, I, sure. I attended and, and stopped by one of my favorite brick and mortar stores uh, just yesterday. It's a place called El Canelo in, in oh, uh, the West New York area here. I am patting your mic down because the, the slapback is just that terrible. I'm so sorry. I want to have a conversation with you. Will I have to do it like distant? I've got to be coming through your computer because I still hear it at this time. It's like still slapping around. Yeah, it's it's coming from somewhere, man. But uh, I, I ordered their uh, Chile's poblanos. It was two Chile poblanos stuffed with cheese, breaded in egg, topped with green sauce, served with rice and beans and two flour tortillas. I have not been to that place in forever. And they're finally at the point where they could have more people come in to enjoy the food. And talking about brick and mortar, you could maybe get some of that stuff on the internet, but it's nowhere near like going to the actual place, walking in, getting the sights, the smells, having the interactions. Absolutely. Can't beat it. Can't beat it, Rick. You know? So you'll be down here in a couple of weeks for uh, Space Coast. And uh, you know where we're going, bro. You know where, where? we're going. Where are we're we going? Go, we're going to go to Azteca de Oro, our favorite local Mexican spot. I've been going there for just about 10 years, and I have yet to have a bad meal there. You've been there before. The oh, fifth of the man. franchise. Oh, Everybody's been there before. It is such an amazing place. You know, I, so, I uh, hear they have an amazing dish over there called the Alaskan Burrito. <laughs> is that right? Oh, man. I, I don't know if it's that. on the menu or not, but I heard good things about it. What is it, a frozen burrito? Isn't that what we got when we were on the USS NASA? Remember when we wanted to get burritos over on the ship? And then um, I've, I've never seen, I've never seen a burnt burrito that's still frozen on the inside. The USS NASA did a phenomenal job with that. <laughs> they really did. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's, that's what the Alaskan burrito is. Yeah, it's just a frozen, a frozen burnt burrito. See, I, which, thought, it, no, I thought it was like, I thought it was like, uh, had some king crab legs in there. I thought it was like maybe you know, like a like a fish taco, but a little bit different. You know, we're, we're we're giving away ideas. Stop, stop. We're giving away ideas. We will come up with the HR Talk podcast and Biosco Learning Alaskan Burrito Dish. Oh my gosh, we got to put that out. We got to put that out while we're together. Coming up in a few short weeks, that'd be amazing. It's, I know the owner. All right, your last current event story is coming to you from Q13 Fox Seattle. This came to us from the Fox TV digital team. There's numerous stories all over the board about this one, ladies and gentlemen. The former director of the National Intelligence says upcoming Pentagon UFO report that was mandated by the massive coronavirus bill will reveal technology that we do not have. This is an actual headline. So while we've been hearing everything in the news about what's current events this past week, this is a true headline of what's taking place. The massive $2.3 trillion coronavirus relief package that was signed by former President Donald Trump and put into law in 2020 was a very big bill. It had a lot of very big stuff in there. 
and it triggered a countdown to a deadline by which the Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defense must provide lawmakers a report on what is known about UFOs. Buried within the thousands of pages of legislation under the committee comments section of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021, a stipulation requested a report to senators on intelligence and armed services committees regarding any information surrounding UFO sightings and whether they present a potential threat. While the exact nature of the purported extraterrestrial threats were previously unknown, the former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, did speak with Fox News Maria Bartiromo this past Monday, said there are a lot more sightings than what the public is aware of. Ratcliffe said there have been objects observed, and they've been observed by military craft and satellites, and they have achieved forms of flight that would normally be impossible without any no with with any known human technology. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about the objects that have been seen by the Navy or Air Force pilots, or have been picked up by satellite imagery and frankly engaged in actions that are difficult to explain, according to Ratcliffe. Movements that are hard to replicate that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that exceed the sound barrier without a sonic boom. Mm. According to the stipulation within the legislation, the information is sought out by government program known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. The committee further directs that within 180 days of enactment of the act, that was the coronavirus relief bill, Such individuals shall develop a strategy for security and counterintelligence collection that defines the capability requirements, responsibilities, and processes for security and counterintelligence for domestic military installations and other domestic military facilities. The Select Committee on Intelligence wrote that the report must include, quote, a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena, data, and intelligence reporting. A detailed analysis of unidentified phenomena data. A detailed analysis of data of the FBI, which was derived from investigations of intrusions of unidentified aerial phenomena data over restricted United States airspace. It's coming forward. There's there's going to be a report that's set forth. And the big news right now, Ricky Baez, is the current administration may put a halt on the release of the data and information associated with this. But it is currently underway, signed into law, so it would take a lot to revert that at this time. Ricky Baez, over to you. JC, I, I, I have never been as excited for any mandate as this one. Let me tell you, I, I, this fascinating is the living daylights out of me and i just want to see what in the world is going on out there because we've seen those video last year when those f-18 fighter pilots took the video of those of those things moving around and yeah. they they dude that i i i really hope this administration doesn't put a hole on that i did, really did want you to pull see up that. that clip of uh ratcliffe and butter robo uh while i was reading that I thought that's what you were doing for a second there, because I'm going to tell you, if you haven't heard the piece, it was absolutely amazing. Now, a lot of people out there are going to say, what in the world does this have to do with HR? 
But if we think about the story that we just heard about encryption, and Ricky mm-hmm. was talking about it being in the cloud, and then potential UFOs are in clouds. So there's a <laughs> lot going on with all of that. And it could impact people showing up to work when they get sucked up into one of these things and taken off to another galaxy far away. <laughs> and then it ties together with the HRCI Sherm battle that's taking place. It'll be an intergalactic lightsaber like Swordfest. Right, and then people come back with criminal records from Mars, and then what are we going to do with that with HR people? Unbelievable. Come we on, tied dude. the whole show together in this one right here. We yeah. really did, bro. We really <laughs> So before we continue into that, our man. Florida Man segment uh, here, did did you have any clips or anything on that that you want to hit, or are you no, good? No, actually, um, I wasn't looking that up. Um, I was looking something else up, but uh, what's it called again? Uh, if you look up Ratcliffe Bartiromo UFO, you're gonna you're gonna find a whole slew of stuff on that one. Probably right. nothing about making like Alaskan burritos or anything like that. I mean, oh, we, we like need that. to trademark that. Sounds good. We need to file a trademark good. on that like after I the really, show today. I really should. Yeah, you seriously <laughs> should, Mister Bias. I really should. No, let's go ahead and do Florida Master. I'm gonna find this. Okay, find sounds this. good to me. Stand by. It's time for Florida Man. Stories. Florida Man Stories this week brought to you in part by no one. Feel free to stop by, check E-T. it out, and uh, if you want to sponsor these moving forward, uh, if, if you are um, someone who, who sells alcohol or liquor, we'd be more than happy to have you. If you're a business person looking to sponsor these stories, maybe not. But this is coming to us from the newsobserver.com. School board has fired Florida teacher for medical marijuana use out of Melbourne, Florida. A Florida teacher has been fired for using medical marijuana. The Brevard County School Board voted 3-2 to two on Tuesday to terminate Allison Enright from her position at Space Coast Junior Senior High School, according to Florida Today. Brevard County is located on Florida's Atlantic Coast, east of Orlando, and is home to the world-famous and internationally renowned Space Coast HR Conference, specifically the 2021 version where I will be emceeing and Ricky will be bringing the podcast to the floor. And we look forward to meeting you there and talking more about this in person. Medical marijuana is legal in Florida, but federal regulations continue to categorize cannabis as a Schedule One controlled substance like heroin, LSD, and ecstasy. <laughs> the school district must be a drug-free workplace and receive certain federal grants, and that means the district can't allow teachers to use marijuana ever. That's according to the school board general counsel, Paul Gibbs. The school district adopted a policy in 2019 allowing students to use medical marijuana, but the policy didn't address teachers. Inright disclosed her medical marijuana use when she took a drug test after an injury at work. She said she didn't realize that her medication violated the district's policy, which says teachers cannot use illegal drugs without specifically mentioning marijuana prescribed by a doctor. Quote, I want to make it clear, I do not do drugs. End quote. According to Enright, during a Tuesday meeting. Quote, I don't smoke pot. I don't get high. End quote. Enright said she takes a pill containing THC the psychoactive compound in marijuana, twice a day. Before taking medical marijuana, she says she took opioids for several health conditions, causing pain and weakness. Now she takes this. All board members expressed 
regret at having to discuss Enright's termination, but the majority ultimately upheld the school district's recommendation to fire her. Board Chair Missy Belford, who voted in favor of termination, said she would like to see the policy updated to prevent similar situations from happening again in the future. Ricky Bias, over to you. So, uh, first of all, this this person needs to be honest with themselves. You do drugs. The question is, is whether it's legal or illegal. That's the question here, right? And as much as I would love to support this person, because look, in the state of Florida, it is legal medically. As long as you went to a doctor, the doctor says, yes, you meet ABC criteria, go ahead and get your card, get your prescription, you're good. It literally is no different than getting Oxy or Percocet for back pain, whatever it is. The problem is, like you mentioned in the story, is that regardless what the state does, regardless what the school board or the business or any business does for that matter, um, it is still illegal federally. So that creates an issue. So I don't, a lot of people are faulting the school and I, it's not the school's fault. Now the school does need to update their, their policies to, to address drug use and address marijuana loss, but this should be no different than alcohol, right? Because here's the thing, if you show up to work drunk, you're still going to have an issue, but an alcohol is perfectly legal. But organizations really need to amend those those policies to coincide with what's happening in the different states. But it's it's still going to be an uphill battle until the federal government says marijuana, cannabis, THC is no longer uh, considered an illegal drug. That needs to change first. What a lot of um, organizations, what a lot of uh, lawsuits are are coming down to is a lot of these are going to the federal level. And I do need to look this up a little bit more because I didn't think we were going to go this route. But it really is near and dear to my heart because it's it, it's it brings relief to a lot of people. And look, I, I'm going to be honest. My brother, he has MS. And this um, here in the state of Florida, um, it, it's uh, it's a uh, marijuana THC helps incredibly with MS. And a lot of people need it. So what the law is saying is that if you are going through treatment for MS, you can't work. You can't work. And isn't that discrimination? Isn't that it? To me, isn't that isn't that disability discrimination? So the federal government needs to get involved and and change this policy. And these organizations need to change their policy to follow suit. But this is not the school board's fault. And it's nobody's fault at the state level. So I really feel bad for both parties, both the person who got fired and the and the uh, and the school administrators who, who were forced to follow their rules and regulations. Ladies and gentlemen. Coming up April 21st, 2021 in Melbourne, Florida, will be the sold-out Space Coast HR Conference. The completely sold-out Space Coast HR Conference. The South Brevard Society for Human Resource Management and the Space Coast Human Resource Association, located in Brevard County, have collaborated once again to present this conference for the benefit of the local business professionals in the area. It will be my honor and pleasure to be there as your MC once again this year to keep it fun. Ricky Baez will be there as well. He will be on the floor in a booth. 
podcast. There will be microphones and seats. You are encouraged to stop by during that day of training to talk with Ricky Baez. Share your HR stories. Interact and tell us more about you. While we all sit back to learn more about human resources from speakers like Joe Schaefer, Janet Goldberg-McGinnery, Jeffrey Shaw, Tracy Sponenberg, R. Michelle Tatum, and Lewis Wilson. Just for an example, when it comes to performance management, 95% of employees are dissatisfied with the company's performance evaluation process. In one of our key sessions, led by Arbinger's senior counsel, Joe Schaefer, she will reveal the power of mindset and how it drives self-accountable behaviors. Participants will also learn how to meet high performance standards through a self-accountability model that employees don't just like, but they love. We will see you on the floor April 21st at the Crown Plaza in Melbourne, Florida. And it will be my pleasure and honor to see you all once again in person for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Ricky Bias, back to you. That sounds like an amazing commercial that will come up while watching the movie of Jedi's fighting in the sky. That was great. Ricky Bias, <laughs> it's time for final thoughts. Let's go to around the room. You're first up. I got 129 on the clock. Go ahead. All right. So my final thoughts, it's look, um, from the from a criminal background perspective, HR folks, take a look at those on a case by case basis. Do not put a blanket policy that affects them all because every candidate that has a criminal background has a different story. They have a different comeback story. And that's what you want to focus on. Don't focus on the criminal background. Focus on their comeback story because that is what you're going to use to make a decision on whether they're going to be a great resource, a value employee in your organization. Remember, the comeback story is what you want to focus on. <laughs> oh, a couple things uh, from the show today. Uh, laughter. <laughs> laughter can be used anytime you want when you feel uncomfortable. Uh, second thing is, as well, uh, ARPA and DARPA are different radically. We learned that today. Big thank you going out to uh, Mr. David Miklis and everyone who chimes in during the uh, during the off times of the show. Big shout out going out to uh, Dave, the intern, for stepping up for Wednesdays. Don't forget to stop by uh, Facebook.com slash HR Talk podcast to catch Ricky Baez and Dave, the intern, on Wednesday where they get into things and have a little bit more fun. And uh, on behalf of Ricky, it's been a pleasure to be here. Before I say goodbye, Ricky Baez, what are some of the best ways? People can find you and us, please. Ebias at biasco.com. Send us an email. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapshot, and Facebook. We are all over the place and LinkedIn. Let us know how you feel about the show. Give us a like. Download us from your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And let us know how you feel about the show. We would greatly appreciate it. The world-renowned HR Talk on behalf of Ricky Baez, Dave the Intern, and the entire production crew behind the scenes. I'm JC. It's been a pleasure to be here once again. Ladies and gentlemen, drive safe. Have a good night. Alaska!
Hey, Google, order me an Alaskan burrito. 